today we are going to be discussing consumer insights best practices with the ever lovely she has a wonderful energy that she brings to the space but i'm sure you'll absorb that uh, vocally as well and um, talking about her experiences as global cmi of foresight at mars so again we're going to go over the uh, agenda in just a second i will introduce katie just briefly so katie actually has a wealth of experience in cmi um, she started her career as a strategic brand consultant working with the likes of unilever diageo um, and others she then started and pursued her insight career in the telecoms and mobile industry before moving to fmcg for the last eight years, Katie has worked in global consumer and market insight. So again, a wealth of experience there at Mars Food. And she currently focuses on portfolio growth across brands such as Ben's Original and Dolmio. She is passionate about bringing the uh, consumer and un unheard voices into the business to drive strategy and execution, storytelling through triangulating multiple sources, which we'll talk about today as well, to create a single narrative with clear business recommendations. And that's at the heart of her work and everything that she does. Um, so really a combination of empathy and analytics to make business decisions come to life. Um, so with that, we'll just do a quick overview. Um, Katie, I'll run through the agenda quickly and then it's off to the races and we would love to, to hear um, what you have to say. So Katie will walk us through an overview of Mars, a day in the life, what makes CMI tick, consumer insights, best practices, and a little bit about the TasteWise experience. And then of course, we will um, have a little bit of time at the end for Q&A. Um, so with that, Katie, the floor is yours. Great. Well, hello, everyone. You've already heard a little bit about me, so I won't bore you anymore with that. Um, but I think, you know, I, I, I kind of started out consultancy and very, very early on realised that insight was my passion. I can't pretend I'm a brilliant techie, um, but I can tell you that I love my food. So um, I, I think it's a really interesting one to think about how you kind of operate as an insight professional um, because in both ways it works. So being that detached, slightly dispassionate, very easily representing a consumer view while I was in the technology space re worked really well for me. But as I then um, sort of started to carve um, a future forward and think about a bit more what gets me out of bed in the morning, I realized that I kind of had to return to kind of the FMCG um, so that I was being curious and being nosy and understanding the consumer needs um, in a space that I was personally motivated by. So that's what brought me to Mars Food. Um, and if you flick on to the next one, Miriam, um, that is um, where I am today. So um, I'm always aware that when I talk about Mars, there are quite a few things that kind of go through people's minds, primarily a Mars bar. Um, but I actually don't work on that side of the business. So Within Mars, we're kind of um, a massive global company, but we have Mars Food, Mars Pet Care, and uh, Mars Wriggling, which is our kind of snacking um, company. And Mars Food is actually the baby of the business. Um, and we have brands that uh, you might have heard of, such as Ben's Original and Dolmio. Um, but equally, there's some local jewels that are uh, market specific. So, for example, Ebley in France, um, as well as Susie One, Tasty Bite in the US, Miracoli in Germany. Um, so you might encounter those um, depending on which market you are dialing in from. But Mars Food, as I say, um, we are we are the kind of smaller arm. So uh, we like to pride ourselves on being the kind of agile, entrepreneurial, um, able to steal with pride from um, pets and confectionery. And our five key markets are, are kind of as I've shown there. And, you know, our ultimate mission is delivering five and a half billion healthy meals by 2025. We're very purpose-led as a company. Uh, we're still family-owned. Um, so the Mars family um, are 
actively involved in the day-to-day business. And our purpose is all about better food today, a better world tomorrow. So hopefully that just gives you a little bit of context of kind of where I'm coming from when I'm, I'm talking about my day in the life. And this is always a tricky one, but I thought it might be an interesting one to start. And I'd be fascinated for kind of other people on the call as to how this kind of roughly marries with, um, you know, your kind of average day, if one ever could exist. But um, what I was trying to do here and, and, you know, some of the genesis of some of this content was actually um, by partnering with TasteWise um, as one of our strategic suppliers. What we've kind of done is really um, work closely together to kind of talk about how we're using the platform in terms of our general suite of insights and a way of kind of helping that um, better land actionable insights is to understand, well, what are we doing on a day-to-day basis and, and how do these insights get used and, and what, how do we work across the breadth of the company? So if I kind of start at the bottom where you kind of got, you know, your little 10% buckets, I think, you know, there are certain bits of the kind of insights uh, job that will always be there, which is, you know, the ad hoc request. So this could be something like, um, how has penetration changed in you know the last five years in one of our markets or in one of our categories and maybe a kind of are there any you know drivers of that or how has the competitive landscape changed that it could be something about um we what are our kind of macro trends that we think are shaping the food landscape to date things that we've often you know already worked on that we can kind of share um and deep dive a little bit more Equally, there's kind of another 10% bucket, which is on, I've kind of got sort of agency guidance, but this is kind of the partnering that I've sort of talked about. So this is beyond a project specific meeting and more about how do we connect with our kind of key strategic partners to kind of share the vision of where we're going, maybe talk about the hot topics that we're interested in, just to kind of keep that open dialogue. And that's kind of two-way conversation so that we're constantly (laughs) on the radar in terms of, you know, priorities of what we're working on in case as, you know, the companies that we work with, if they've also, you know, developing some new functionality or they're potentially doing topic deep dives, we can kind of have, you know, mutual benefit in discussing what they mean and how we bring that to life. Um, And I find obviously the more that we involve and kind of say, well, this is what we're focusing on and this is the direction we would like to be in, the, you know, the greater and more efficient partnership that we have. And then the third bucket is the managing research. Now, this one is uh, kind of one that's probably decreased massively over the years because, you know, even when I was, say, joining BT, where we were really trying to go on a journey from a research department to an insight department, um, really focusing in on not the research itself but the learnings the findings what it means for the business and how we triangulate that with multiple sources which I'll talk about a bit more later Um, and increasingly with kind of self-service platforms and there is also sometimes less need to commission something bespoke because we've got our always on functionality in order to be able to look at sort of queries within within a certain project Um, and again as we kind of continue to partner and our roster becomes tighter and we know kind of who our kind of strategic partners are, then we can outsource and feel confident doing so in terms of the kind of research management in order to free us up um, to work on some of the stuff that's coming up above. I'm wondering if maybe as we go, you can comment a little bit more on that transition from research to insights. We find that um, we hear a lot of folks in the industry talk about that. And actually, I see some comments in the chat that sort of 
touch on that as well. Um, you know, folks who are new to data management and insights also challenges in guaranteeing quality responses. And I think an addendum to that could be quality responses that then are actionable and can actually be used in, in the business flow. So maybe just bookmark that for, for perhaps later and we can discuss that a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, great point. Um, and yeah, happily will do because I think uh, gone are the days of the inside department being the ones that you phone and say, hey, I need four focus groups, you know, in two weeks time and this will be the topic. Please crack on with a, a gorgeous discussion guide to be approved <laughs> to kind of here's our business critical issues. <laughs> Um, and how do we best answer them? And sometimes the answer will not be research. Um, the answer might also be we've got a wealth of information or we've got 80% of the information you need to make an informed decision. And let's not hide behind the consumer and overly research things um, in the hope that you know we'll maybe get that confidence and we can always say, well, we, we, we have really researched it if something doesn't work. Um, but yeah, happy to talk more on that uh, sure. at the end. Um, but yeah, project focus meetings will always be a big part um, in terms of insight because, you know, the great thing is we're integrated across across the business. So that might be partnering with kind of research and development um, with marketing, with design, and then even with kind of, you know, the category teams. So depending on what are the big hot topics, the big projects, you know, really being integrated early on into those projects. And I've kind of put a separate Global Connects bucket on there because I think in a global role increasingly, and I know this is a constant debate across um, many industries and, and companies in terms of, you know, what's the ideal global way of working? Uh, and, and I think, you know, beyond all those other projects, increasingly what we're just doing is across the regions and across the globe, just putting in these kind of regular connects where you can shoot the breeze and just what's keeping you awake, you know, what are you working on or what are the things bubbling in your head? Because that kind of regular connect, A, you know, enables the collaboration, but equally might inspire thoughts or might give you the genesis of the gaps that are starting to appear and how proactively um, insight can start to shape uh, the thoughts around that. And then the big bucket on the top is the, the presentations and workshops. So ultimately, our goal is to you know, disseminate the knowledge. There is definitely, again, from the research to insight shift, gone are the days are of the insight department being the custodians of the data, the ones that kind of, you know, are protecting it. We want to get it out there. We want everybody in the organization all over it as much as we can. And that consumer centricity is, is critical to a CMI role, which I will again come on to. But equally, this is why a lot of time gets spent in the storytelling. So how do we weave together these multiple sources into a you know format that works for the forum that we're talking about? So sometimes it is a live workshop where we're taking those insights and thinking about how do we then apply um, and, and you know, co-create our kind of actions on the back of this and, and what do we want to do differently? Whereas some it might be, we're not quite ready for that stage yet. We're trying to just understand an area. So how can we you know, weave this kind of clear presentation that brings together all the insights that we have in a really clear way? So that's kind of, if I was going to talk about probably a typical week, this would be the rough devotion of time um, that goes uh, across um, each of those buckets. So in terms of, you know, why do I work in Insight? Why do other people that I speak to, um, why are they so passionate about, you know, working there and what do we love about our jobs? And ultimately, the, the biggest challenge is putting the consumer at the heart of decision making. And that's, you know, a challenge. Um, 
but and, and us a joy to do so. So, you know, that again comes down to the business acumen as well that you need to combine it with. But, you know, in terms of kind of the reason we are there is that we want to make sure that the consideration for what it means for the consumer is central to any of the key decisions made. And there's kind of five kind of areas within this that I'll kind of go on and talk about. So firstly, and I, and I touched on this before, I think one of the, the big kind of skills that um, you know, CMI teams often pride themselves on is this you know, triangulation of multiple sources. Um, and by multiple sources, what I kind of typically mean would be taking, say, some sales data, whether that's kind of online or bricks and mortar. It would be thinking about even research that you'd commissioned two or three years ago and what were the key nuggets coming out from that? And, you know, maybe going back to that qualitative deep dive you did, you know, two years ago or a quant study that we'd run, you know, three years ago on price thresholds and um, price elasticities, for example, and then, of course, um, all the kind of always on tools. So, you know, putting um, the, the latest and greatest understandings, the early signals that we're seeing from TasteWise to put it all together to get to a really holistic picture. Um, and I think through that, you know, you get confidence that when you are creating this narrative and this story, because ultimately I don't want to go into a meeting and go, hey, so I found this from this source, this source told me this, and this source told me this, so what should we do? You know, the task of the kind of insight team is to go, right, how does this all weave together? And sometimes there will be tension points that we go, right, we need to face into this kind of, you know, maybe the difference between what consumers are telling us what they do versus what they're really doing. Um, how do we face into those tensions? But equally, how do we, you know, think about these together um, to give the business confidence that this is what we understand on this topic. And, you know, this is what we could do um, about it to, to kind of push the business forward. Secondly, Katie, I, don't, I don't know if you'd like yeah, to address sure. this now or at the end, but we do have yeah, a question from yeah. the audience. Okay. Um, in your opinion, do you think there is a risk of overcomplicating insight with various consumer models, demand space, need states, opportunity platforms, innovation frameworks, et cetera? <laughs> that is such a great question. Yes, yes, and yes. I mean, I think, you know, <laughs> The, the ultimate question that I'm still grappling with, and if anyone's got the answer, please do pop it in the chat, is, you know, what's the best framework? Because, you know, because insight touches across all these different spaces, you know, trying to get to this kind of beautiful, you know, one page of framework, <laughs> I think it is the constant battle. And of course, as the business evolves and maybe the growth spaces you're going after, um, or indeed the kind of changing dynamics, how do you have that, you know, consistent and robust enough to kind of be pivotal to the organization, but fluid enough to recognize change and to push the thinking sort of forward? But yeah, I, I do think that kind of, I, I think the problem with insight is that because insight's this gorgeously but really big word, as soon as anyone mentions consumer or data or insight, then straight away that kind of falls to the, the insight team's remit. Um, when sometimes it is just, you know, something that individuals could be actioning, that they could be sourcing, and it doesn't always need to be a big, um, a big project, or you know, it's just it's just a point of interest rather than a pivotal insight, which we really need to focus our efforts on and trying to tease out those differences. I think can be quite tricky. So, secondly, uh, probably probably part of that is this kind of effect engaging storytelling because I think. Because it is so complex, because there are so many ways in, 
um, and, and so many facets to, you know, what an insight is and how it's derived. Um, weaving it together to get to a narrative is great, but then how do we take the organization on that journey? And I think, you know, make them feel it and, you know, not just feel confident, but feel motivated and passionate um, to, to take on um, the areas that are potentially being um, highlighted or, you know, maybe stop doing something as well. You know, it's, it's, it's ultimately about informing those strategic choices and how the consumer, you know, comes into that. So there's often some, you know, tricky conversations, quite kind of courageous recommendations that aren't always what people want to hear. So, you know, bringing people on that journey, but without overcomplicating, maybe showing too much data, um, it is this kind of fine balance um, that I think we're always kind of grappling with. And, and knowing the audience and the stakeholders, I think it is critical for that one. And then thirdly, um, I think I saw, you know, when I said, as soon as it says data, as soon as it says consumer or insight, it's like, oh, that's that's the, the CMI team in, in Mars's case, you know. But ultimately, if we want consumers at the heart of the decision making, it can't just come from one team. This consumer centricity has got to live and breathe beyond the people in that team. So, you know, as part of that does become um, thoughts around how do you create that passion, but also how do you best share all those insights? Um, how do you best, you know, engage to the top two points really feeding into this so that it isn't a default that, you know, the insight team have the answer to everything, but you enable people to access that information, but with kind of, you know, recommendations potentially or some kind of um, um, suggestions as to how best to kind of use the tools in the right way, because, you know, th there is this kind of, again, fine balance of you want to kind of live and breathe this consumer centricity, but you don't potentially want everyone in the organization launching a survey tomorrow um, because you're trying to get that balance. So, you know, but I think that comes from uniting people on the passion and that excitement behind understanding how consumers make decisions and in our case eat the food that they do and choose the brands that they want to and how do we help get towards these healthier meals katie i'm so sorry to interrupt i think part of that also is encouraging um kind of the democratization of trust in the organization that people can trust that the insights that they are now having access to as part of this work of making consumer centricity part of the organizational fabric right? Making sure that people trust that what they're looking at is actually reliable, right? And um, someone had written in the chat earlier, feeling like they can't rely on the insights that they get. And that's a huge part of, I think, the story as well. You know, that's, I think that also links to our kind of research to insight kind of journey that we've seen the industry in general go on, which is when it was very much research, it, there was always lots of questions on the methodology, you know, and I think that is still important to recognize, you know, is it quant? Is it qual? How robust is it? You know, and, and where's it sourced? It, it's, it's really fundamental, but I think it's kind of trust in that kind of insight team as well to choose the better methodology. And I've definitely noticed less conversations about, you know, say versus 10 years ago, and, um, you know, well, you know, was that was that a conjoint? Because sometimes that was like a word that people who weren't an insight had used in different organizations and therefore loved conjoint because it was kind of quantitative and they'd used it before and loved it. And before you know it, you've got people saying we need to do a conjoint rather than actually understanding what the business issue is. So part of that journey, I think, has been moving away from everybody questioning methodologies and just focusing on how do we get the right insights for the business issue at hand? But yeah, totally agree. And actually the fourth one you see is democratization oh, of data. Fantastic. <laughs> you know, is, is exactly that. So how do we, you know, 
not be the custodian. So even if that is about the kind of latest, um, you know, markets and stats are kind of volume and value and market share, all that kind of um, reporting, how do you make that freely accessible? Because also selfishly, that frees up the Insight team's time to focus on the big meaty projects rather than, oh, yeah, I've just run that five-minute data run for you. Yes, you'll see, you know, market shares increase by 5% year on year when that's the kind of stuff that you can allow people to, you know, play with the time period they need. They can, you know, play with the categories and markets that they need so that we are kind of free to use the kind of expertise better on probably those top two points rather than having to kind of focus too much on on those ad hoc requests, which, as you've sort of seen, have now been minimised, but will always be there. And then finally, um, I think this is probably one of my favourite bits, and I don't know what other people's energy is, but we can't help it. There is this N equals one bubble, you know, and especially in the world of food, because everyone eats food. Um, everyone says, yep, yeah, you know, in my house, or, you know, I know it's just me, but my kids do this. And, and I think, you know, there's there's a real challenge of when we say putting consumers at the heart of decision making it's about putting the you know the mass market consumer at the heart of decision making not just what happens and and brutally speaking you know a lot of kind of big companies are based in cities and employers are getting paid more than average so it's really kind of you know helping people round themselves in the reality of 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 their markets Um, and and i do quite enjoy sometimes going yeah, we've seen this and we've heard this. However, you know, if we're going to go for evidence-based decision-making, you know, nice story, but the data is telling us this. Um, and, you know, the, the more all those kind of points linked to it, because the more you can democratise the data, the more easy it is for people to snap out of their bubble. Um, and, it, and it's never done with malice. It's always done with passion. And, you know, but it, and it does sometimes feel a bit like popping someone's balloon. But it's really critical that if we talk about consumers we mean it in the plural we mean it in you know if you want to get to scalable ideas um depending on the strategy and you know what part of the business you're talking about it's it's got to be the big insights that that we focus on mark shared in the chat that he spends a lot of time talking people out of their own bubbles and i'm sure that resonates with a lot of you as well absolutely so in terms of the best practices, um, because you, and this is like the world according to me, so you know, <laughs> I'm sure there are many more that aren't on this slide, but I think in order to get to those kind of five previous bullets in terms of you know, what makes us tick, what, make, what makes you know, insights good and exciting and operationalizing a business, I think it's critical using multiple sources, you know, kind of single source um, insights are increasingly met with resistance and skepticism because you know, everyone's kind of got stories of where someone's managed to weave a story out of insight. Because if you go in with a hypothesis and you are determined to find evidence to back that up, it is most likely that somehow you will find that. You know, you will find um, an article that potentially says, yep, X percent of people are doing this. Um, So the only way to really be robust and confident in the kind of stories um, that we are weaving is to make sure that we are seeing it come up in different ways. And and each source has its own unique offering. So they're never going to tell you exactly the same, but, you know, kind of looking to the big picture and what the common threads that are coming out is the kind of critical bit. And I think this kind of analysing data effectively and, you know, efficiently is kind of a big part of it. So increasingly, I'm sure you will find this, but, you know, insight departments and their spend 
um, is always under an ROI challenge and particularly um, in tough times, it's, it can be one of the departments that can be first cut. So anything we can do that helps us to be more agile and be more effective in the way we analyze data and, you know, whether that's kind of using AI as we're, you know, increasingly seeing, um, it, it just speeds us up. But equally, the, the look and feel, so things that just look beautiful and are very easy to extract, just those little things that really help us kind of take the heavy lifting out of analyzing the data, bearing in mind we're often using multiple sources, and really kind of enable us to get to those stories more beautifully and more confidently and probably more agilely. In a, in a more agile way. The third one, I think, is the, the proactivity. And this is where having time to spend looking at the early signals that we're seeing, you know, that are coming from our tools so that we are not always being reactive to a business challenge, but equally challenging the business back and saying, hey, we're seeing this, you know, totally fine. If as a business decision, we don't want to go after that space but let's not do it by burying our head in the sand. Let's let's be bold and make that choice and challenging the business that, you know, there are these areas that we could be going after. There are these foresight territories that we're seeing emerging that will have implications for the categories that we're playing in and, you know, putting them out there as to, is this a place you want us to go dig more because we're seeing enough here to be confident that this is going to fundamentally shape the way food is going to evolve for the next five to 10 years. So I think this measure of reactivity versus proactivity um, is really key. And again, links to that research to insight transformation that we've talked about, which is, you know, a research department is reactive, picks up the phone, organizes some research as an insight department is so integrated into the business, aware of the business critical issues, aware of the business targets and where it wants to be in five to 10 years time, that that enables that conversation to happen. Another thing I think is, is kind of the collaboration. So I suppose it's part of that kind of multiple sources, but, you know, the, the different lenses in. So whether that's working with research and development or marketing or category, even the supply chain and commercial, there's all different ways in. And I think our experience at Mars has always been the earlier you kind of share something with the different functions across the organization and so say, hey, we think there's something here or as we're approaching this challenge, this is the kind of vision we have for what we want to understand and where it could take us. It, you know, it really is amazing that even the functions you might not think are super relevant to that conversation um, have a huge amount to say and also a huge amount of passion um, to just help keep the momentum of that project. And finally, but by no means, the kind of least one is staying ethical. So um, in increasingly, we're seeing that this kind of transparency of the data transaction, you know, making sure that we're, you know, looking after um, the data and protecting it as we should, but being transparent saying, in return for you doing this, <laughs> you know, this, this will happen. And, you know, we're not, there's no cloaks and daggers about it. It's not like, oh, a little survey pops up and you don't quite know what you're doing. It's really transparent that, you know, would you like to be part of something? Um, and we can then, you know, make sure that we carry on that conversation with you. And in return, you might get some credits or you might get early exposure to something that we're working on. But um, increasingly, you know, as uh, Gen Z comes through as well, um, seeing that to be super critical to, to a good relationship. So I then just wanted to put in, um, and, and to be clear, Tasteway did not say that this had to be in here, but I was like, I thought within this context of, what makes CMI tick, kind of what the day in the life of what kind of stuff are we working on and maybe what are the, some of the challenges we're having. 
here's just some ways that um, we've been using TasteWise and, and how it's kind of helped. And you'll see that from like little items to big ticket numbers and, and how we kind of use it in different ways. So for example, you know, we might um, just be using it on a daily sort of basis in terms of if we want to understand meals. So obviously with Mars Food and the brands of Ben's Original and Dolmio, I don't think it's going to be overly sensitive to say we're interested in rice dishes and pasta dishes a lot of the time. Um, so we can then be thinking about, you know, what's going on in the world of lasagnas and curry and just staying on top of kind of the associations and how that's different from, say, savory foods in general and maybe what ingredients and recipes are trending or how is the restaurant landscape changing when we're looking at these kind of items. So that's just kind of us being fingers on the pulse, you know, making sure we're understanding how these critical meals, we call them meals, how they're evolving and how consumers are um, eating them at home and out of the home. And of course, to then push our thinking further, you know, we are constantly thinking about cuisines and, you know, what are the new opportunities? What are the growth spaces and, and um, areas that we potentially, you know, might look into or just understand the broader landscape because, you know, our competition isn't other rice and pasta, it is how people are eating meals. So constantly bringing the outside in, keeping that kind of wide focus, um, you know, taste-wise, I find it super helpful to kind of keep me honest in that way. Um, and particularly to be able to see like what's happening in the UK, for example, versus the US. And, and are we seeing the same things or are we seeing some nuances come out? And then, you know, topic deep dives. So often, you know, just as we kind of go, well, what does inflation mean? for food consumption and how is it affecting people looking at those affordable food um, and we've had some great webinars but equally using the kind of top trends to just inspire and go oh actually I should probably know more about that because if that's popping up then I need to be more on it and then and um, secondly you know what I, I then am constantly doing is kind of you know, flicking between the countries in home versus out of home sometimes excluding beverages because we're kind of going, well, actually, if we're, if we're looking at this, like how can we super refine um, the search that we're looking at? Um, and and I am always love the bit about the consumer needs tab. That's where I were kind of always playing on functional health and that granularity of understanding, you know, gut health versus, you know, stress and anxiety and how the food landscape is shaping that, particularly as, you know, consumers become more proactive about their health needs and how food and nutrition can help them manage it. Um, and the kind of, you know, diets and experiences beneath it. And I love that to just kind of, again, keep us honest, but also inspire us. And then personally, because as I said, I like the food, the recipe trends, you know, because then I'm kind of going, right, what's trending? And then half the time I go, not quite heard of that or wouldn't know how to make that. So then, you know, going on the link to look at that kind of recipe website myself and often then adding those bits to my, my order to go, right, you know, that, that's quite an interesting ingredient I hadn't thought of or, or a new kind of recipe. Um, so it's fun. You know, that that's the thing that I like. That it doesn't feel like a chore when I'm kind of scouting around here. And then, of course, you know, looking at those menu items to get that out-of-home inspiration so that we can see, you know, what's kind of really gaining momentum what's likely to start, you know, coming on into um, the in-home environments. So just, just a bit of a taste of the things that I um, particularly love when I'm using TasteWise and integrating it into these kind of big insight-led stories. So that was kind of everything I had to share. Um, I hope we're okay on time, but um, if there's any questions, I'm really happy for um, a little bit of a chat. 
Sure, Katie, thank you so much. That was fascinating. I learned so much. Um, and it is always a privilege to hear you talk and share your experiences.